It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and today I'm joined by John Helton. Good morning, John. Good morning, Jill. How are you? Good. Is it morning where you're at? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks for messing me up. I had no clue. It didn't even dawn on me that we're in the afternoon here, but thanks for that. (laughs) What part of the world are you in? I am in Kentucky. All right. Well, it is morning here in Montana. So let me just let me just share with um, with our listeners a little bit about you. John was called to a speaking ministry in 2009 and takes his story across the country wherever God opens the door to encourage, challenge, and inspire. His sense of humor is a constant presence as he captivates his audience with the story of the miracle he is. In 2018, God laid it on John's heart to start a marriage and relationship ministry in April of 2000. 2019 marital monkey was born among those ministries john has released his first book host a talk show and relationship building workshop and is trained to work with those who are struggling with life whether it be with relationship abandonment or just life in general with his coaching certifications and training you are a busy busy man oh and i love it (laughs) i love it so which of which of the jobs is your favorite writing, talk show host, workshop training, speaking? Which do you like the very most? Oh, man, what a loaded question. I have such passion for all of it. It's all ministry focused. And I just love I love I guess my whole thing is encouraging and challenging people. Mm-hmm. So everything I do is it kind of revolves around that. When I go out and speak, I tell my story about losing vision. Then I talk about becoming a widower and my book's actually called stop your whining. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to nicely say to people. And so that's one thing, but then the marriage and relationship ministry has become such a deep passion because marriage is today. It's being redefined. Love is being redefined. We've lost focus, even the church about what marriage truly is and what it's supposed to represent. And mm-hmm. I am just like, I've somebody's got to teach this stuff because we're losing sight of that. So all of it as a whole, I just, I just love every bit of it. It's hard to say which one's my favorite. It's like picking your favorite kid. Yeah. <laughs> I had to think. I'm like, are they listening? I better be careful on this answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so tell us something that was not covered in the bio, something about yourself. Well, again, the challenging thing is something I love to do, and I'm legally blind. And I've I promote concerts at my church. I do it from A to Z. I book the bands. I sign the contracts. I make sure the writer's fulfilled. I get all of the volunteers in order. I get the sound systems. I set the schedule. I get there. I'm running around the church, making sure everybody's doing their jobs and making sure the bands are taken care of. You know, I do that type of thing. I'm an avid avid bowler. I love to bowl. I'm a drummer and I love to do that as well. I have a second book being written. 
I am in the middle of writing a marriage preparation course because I think premarital counseling stinks for the most part. You mm-hmm. know, who's going to handle the money? I am. All right. That's cool. Next. You know, that's not <laughs> that's not preparing you for marriage. So I'm going to write a very in-depth, scripturally sound. I hope it's scripturally sound. I'm praying for guidance on that. And uh, teach scriptures that pertains to marriage, some that you wouldn't think pertains to marriage, but somehow God tells me how to do it. And then I use my coaching certifications and training that I will meet with a couple every week of those teaching modules and we'll apply everything to today and making sure they're on the right track and on the same page. So I'm doing that. Um, I'm getting ready to start the radio show called Marital Monkey Mania. It's going to be on a radio station out of Huntington, West Virginia. And uh, I'm preparing for that. And so I'm busy. I love it. You know, and I I can't think of anything else. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, well, the reason I said that, Jill, really quick, the reason I said that is because I I don't brag on me. Colossians 127 says that basically I do what I do because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Without that, I can't do any of this. But I love this catchphrase. I use it all the time. And I typically get a lot of groans when I'm at a church speaking. I'll say, if a blind guy can do all of this, what's your excuse? Hmm. Yeah. And when, when I say that the last time I said that I flew to North Carolina and I heard somebody from the left side of the stage go, Oh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> what is your excuse, sir? So anyway, yeah, very good. Very good. Well, take me back to, um, your faith background. Um, what was your faith background like growing up? Were you raised in a Christian home? Did you come to faith later in life? That is another one of those loaded questions. I always knew there was God out there somewhere. Um, my parents believed And then, you know, when I was probably in sixth grade, we started attending a Baptist church that um, was attached to a school that I started to attend. And that's kind of how I got a little bit more knowledge about it. But I didn't really understand it. Um, I got in high school, transferred to a big high school, went down my own path. You know how that is when you're Mm -hmm. a teenager. And, you know, it's hard to say, was I really a Christian even before that? I don't know. I, I listened to Petra and the Res Band and White Cross. <laughs> nice. But then I got into high school and I'm listening to Motley Crue and Skid Row. And I didn't care what the lyrics were. I didn't care about any of that. I'm a drummer. I listen to the drums and the guitars. <laughs> so then I will tell you, I was picking up a friend of mine from church on a Sunday night because, you know, I had other things to do, like watch America's Funniest Home Videos. Right. I I got back to pick up my friend. And while I am in my truck in the parking lot, I was listening to Skid Row, Youth Gone Wild. I remember it very clearly. And I popped out that cassette tape that gives my age away, doesn't it? Yeah. And turned it over to a Christian radio station. And again, you know, I believe there was God and everything. I just didn't really understand it. I thought because I didn't smoke, drink or cuss, I was a Christian. That's the way I believed. Mm-hmm. And there was a song on the radio when I turned it over and it said something about living a lie and your your good works won't do anything for you. And I don't remember the artist. I just remember it was a female. And right then I repented and my friend got in a truck and said, wow, you seem different. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I'm different. All right. So wow. that's, that's where, that's to me, the where it actually started. Cool. And how old were you then? I had just turned 21. 
That's amazing. So what was your childhood like? What was it like growing up in your house? It, it was great. I had great parents. Um, my dad was a very hard worker. Um, he basically taught me by example that when times get tough, you just keep on going and do what you have to do. My mom was your typical mother, sweet as can be. Don't make her mad though. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, my dad, he was a drummer and a singer. My mom played piano. So my dad was an absolute maniac with music. And uh, he, we would sit down on the floor and he would put his arms around me and hold my hands and help me play drums to Kansas and Boston mm. and all of that. And so that's where I gained my love for drums. And then my mom, I would sit with her and play piano with her, you know, chopsticks. Yep. <laughs> so, and she played accordion too. So I had a, a pretty good musical upbringing, but our big thing was sports. My dad was an athlete. Okay. My poor mom was not athletic, but she was a very sweet mom. <laughs> and, <laughs> good supportive. Very supportive. Yes. And so, you know, they were supportive of everything I did. And so I had a good upbringing. You know, I didn't see them drinking, smoking, cussing, anything like that. They were just a, a good, a good foundation for me. What sports did you play? Well, I played basketball. I played football. I ran cross country to use the term lightly soccer. <laughs> um, my big thing was basketball. You know, when I was in middle school, I was actually ranked in one of the top players in the state of Indiana, but I took things for granted and everybody started passing me up and I had a quitter's attitude back in mm. those days. Um, I was diagnosed with diabetes in 1980 and I used it as a crutch. And that's probably one reason today that I refuse to make excuses and I can't stand it when people do. I used to be an excuse maker, mm -hmm. but not anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, that's a, again, challenging people. Yeah. Um, so eventually a brain disease took your sight. Is that accurate? Well, there were three of them that three hit me three brain diseases. Yes. Um, it was crazy. It was 2008. I was a single dad, three kids <clears throat> been through some tough stuff in marriage. And I got married in February, 2008. And three and a half months later, I'm in the hospital fighting for my life. And Long story short, I ended up having cerebral histoplasmosis, which they had never seen. They've seen histoplasmosis, essentially in the eyes or maybe in the spine. Sometimes you don't even know you have it. Well, mine got into the brain and it caused me to have encephalitis and meningitis at the same time. And to kick that off, I had no immune system, zero. It was 100% depleted. Wow. And a lot of people have lost their lives due to just meningitis, let alone cephalitis and histoplasmosis in the brain. And I don't know, if, just to kind of let everybody know what it is, encephalitis is the brain swelling. People lose their life that. Meningitis is the line of the brain squeezing it. People mm. have lost their lives over that. So my brain is getting bigger and the lining is going the opposite direction and squeezing it. So for me to be talking to you right now is an absolute miracle, but miracle. I still play yeah. drums. I still bowl. They said I might come out of the hospital with the mentality of a 12 year old. My family thought that was an upgrade. I, I'm sorry. I didn't say <laughs> They're like, woo. Yeah. They were doing somersaults <laughs> down the hallway in the hospital. I didn't understand what they were up to, but now I get it. 
Oh man. So yeah, that was just a miracle in itself to be alive. And I, I read a report, my former brother-in-law um, was a pharmacist. He got a report that in 2008, now I'm going by memory. So please give me a little grace here if I'm inaccurate, but I was on the drug Humira and that's why my immune system was depleted. Mm -hmm. And he got a report that 21 people on Humira that got meningitis in 2008, 12 of the 21 died. Wow. I am assuming I'm one of the nine because I did report it to Humira when it happened. Mm -hmm. um, there was a girl that walked in his pharmacy on a Monday, just got out of the hospital for meningitis. And the next day she was dead. Mm. So I, I say that it's a sad story, but I say that just to kind of magnify the miracle that I am. Yeah, absolutely. So in 2008, you were, you were a single dad and how old were you? 37. 37. So as a 37 year old um, and adjusting to the new reality, how did you do that with positivity and hope? Or was that a perspective that you gained along the way? I will say this. I don't get it. I truly don't get it. When I lost my vision, I had been married three and a half months. Of course, she supported me regardless. It was, mm -hmm. you know, that was a, a very comforting thing. But I cried once over the vision mm. loss. And that was because I couldn't see my kids play sports anymore. Yeah. But that's it. I just rolled with it. And in my book, I even wrote is chapter six. It says, so how do you deal with such a life changing situation? But simple. You laugh at it. And mm -hmm. I wrote an entire chapter on blind stories, like stupid stuff I've done, things that are hilarious to me. Like I went to the National Blind Bowling Association National Tournament in Tampa, Florida. Uh -huh. We walk in the hotel and my kids tell me when we walked in the hotel lobby, there's a sign that says, welcome blind bowlers. <laughs> Did you just say there's a sign <laughs> that says, welcome? What? That to me is hilarious. And that's oh, what that I find funny. funny about life. You just have to enjoy it. You have to laugh because I can get out of bed every morning, throw myself on the floor, rant, rave, scream, cry, moan and groan, question God. And then I stand up and I'm still legally blind. Mm -hmm. So what's the point? What's yep. the point? So instead, I choose to use it for his glory. I get to reach people I never would have reached otherwise. And I get to encourage people and they really can't say anything back. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we have a, a daughter who is a cancer survivor and she was diagnosed when she was two and a half. And mm. um, we had this moment, you know, right after, um, right after she was diagnosed where a friend of ours was trying to collapse one of those portable pack and plays for kids. So we could, leave and she was being life flighted out. And I just sat and laughed at him because he was trying to wrangle this thing that's nearly <laughs> impossible anyway. And I just started roaring at him and he said, really, you're laughing at me at a time like this. And I said, especially at a time like this, right. I think, I think we have to have um, a modicum of, of humor and lightness and, um, and just looking at life through a better lens when you go through, go through really difficult circumstances. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. And 
I went through more stuff later on too. And, and it's the same thing, Jill. It was like, if I wasn't me, I wouldn't believe me if mm-hmm. I told you how things happened because the girl I married in 2008, nine years later, she passed away suddenly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what just happened? But I sit there and I think about that summer in the following months. I'm like, how did I make it? And I don't want to say this because it sounds very, it almost sounds rude, but I hope everybody hears the heart behind it. It was like, it wasn't that difficult. It just wasn't. It was like when, when God said that he gives you peace that passes all understanding, he's not joking. Mm -hmm. That's the only way to describe it. It's not, you can't comprehend it. It's, it's crazy. Now, yeah, of course I shed tears. I mean, Mm -hmm. who doesn't, but you know, the strength was there and I just kept on going. Yeah. And I'm like, God, how do you do that? How do you get somebody to have that amount of peace through something like that? Mm-hmm. But I will say this, had I spent that entire time in the following months whining, complaining, I would not be married to the beautiful girl I have now. Mm. It's all how you respond because things happen, but how do you yeah. respond? That's what's important. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about becoming a widower. Um, you say she died suddenly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> we, um, my, my kids and I used to go bowling on Tuesday nights. It was kind of a family thing we did. And she would stay home, clean the house. And I got home that night. She was talking about her shoulder being sore. Well, the following day, she was fine. You know, she felt a little bit weird here and there. And then on Friday, Um, We were actually going to go see a concert and then we just decided to stay home Saturday. She felt a little worse, but then Saturday night, that was the weekend of the final four, actually. And I was downstairs watching the game the best that I could. And I heard her upstairs just cracking up. So I thought, you know, she was feeling better. Mm -hmm. Miss church on Sunday. I'm the drummer. I was at, I was the drummer at the church that time. And I had to call in and say, you know, she's not feeling well. I'm going to stay home with her. And then Sunday night, she started feeling pretty bad. And I called my daughter. And here's the weird thing. My oldest daughter was house sitting. So she wasn't home. My son played football in college. He wasn't home. My daughter, my youngest daughter just left with my parents to Myrtle Beach the night before. She wasn't home. So it was just me. Mm -hmm. And I say that because when you're legally blind, you don't see some things. Mm -hmm. And my daughter, I called her and I said, um, her name was Sherry. I said, Sherry's not feeling well. I think she might have the flu. What, what's that medicine you took? She said, I'll go get some. Let me take the dog out. I'll be right there. She came over and gave her something that's supposed to cut off the symptoms or something to make you feel better. I don't know. I'm not into that medical stuff very much, mm-hmm. but then her fever broke. She perked up. So we thought she was good to go. So Monday morning, um, I went into work late. And she said, well, that's, I told her I was going to take a half a day off and that way I could come back, make sure I was with her. And she said, well, that's good. Maybe I can get some sleep now. So kids were gone. I was gone. I got back home, made her some toast. She ate a, you know, very little of it. Then it was late that night. It was the national championship game. And I was getting ready for that. And I went and took a shower. And when I came out of the shower, she was clutching her abdomen and just yelling, Jesus, like, mm. it was just, I was like, uh, I said, are you ready to go to the doctor now? Because I tried to get a, get her to go earlier and she wouldn't go. And I understood that she dealt with fibromyalgia. So laying on a hard hospital you know, 
emergency room bed, it would have been really hard on her. And I just told her, I said, if you're not better by tomorrow, we're going to the doctor and there's not going to be a discussion. She was a terrible patient. (laughs) And so, so she, you know, she shook her head. Yes. I could see her do that. So I put her back to bed. And then when I came out of the shower that night, she was just in agony. And so I called an ambulance. Actually, I called my daughter again. I said, can you come and take us to emergency room? And um, she, you know, of course she said, yeah, let me take care of the dog and I'll be right there. She didn't think much about it because the night before she was there already. When my oldest daughter gets there, well, let me take that back. I called my oldest daughter. Not more than two or three minutes later is when Sherry started really, really, um, she was in really bad pain. And I said, do you want me to call you an ambulance? And she shook her head and said, yes. And I was like, okay, I know she's not feeling well at this point. Mm -hmm. My daughter got there. She's helping me pack up the medications. I was grabbing stuff because I'm thinking she's either got the flu or pneumonia. We're going to be in the hospital a few days. I was grabbing my medications and my daughter turned around and she said, dad, her eyes are rolling back in her head and her lips are blue. Well, I panicked at that point. Mm. Ambulance still wasn't there. I called them right after I called my daughter. My daughter took the dog out and everything and made it there before the ambulance did. And so I grabbed my phone when she said that to me and I went flying down the steps out the front door and I was trying to get somebody's attention and I was calling 911 back to tell them, would you please get that, tell them to get here Well, they were pulling in at about that point. And of course the driver acted like it was no big deal, but the passenger, she was a female paramedic. She jumped out and took off because I guess she heard my panic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we got to the hospital and she had um, been resuscitated before they even got there. She went mm. into cardiac arrest. And then um, about five hours later, she, she passed on. So it was, uh, what like, was, wow. what was happening? What was the problem? Um, somehow she got sepsis and it, the sepsis ended up getting into the blood system. And they say, once that happens, it's over because it will shut down your organs. And that's exactly what happened. Everything just started shutting down. Mm. So, and I had to make the decision whether to take her off of the life support she was on. So that's always comforting when they say, you know, when they say, you know, she's, we've had to resuscitate her five times. And he said, we cannot keep doing that because if we do, she's going to be worse off if she makes it. Right. And and he said, we can't move her upstairs because she won't make it upstairs either. So he said, we just need to know what to do. I didn't understand what he was saying. Mm -hmm. And my sister-in-law, which would have been her sister, was a former nurse. And she said, John, they're asking you if they can take her off the machine. I went, oh. And I said, well, I don't know if she'd want me to do that or not. I mean, I really didn't know. I mean, you don't think clearly in those moments, really. Right. And um, she said, yeah, John, she would want you to. So I went and talked to my pastor and explained to him my dilemma because I felt if I said yes, or if I said, no, don't do it. I wasn't having faith that if I did let them take her off of that, like, I felt like if I did that, I'd be showing more faith, Mm -hmm. like God can revive her. And my pastor and my oldest daughter really gave me words of encouragement. And I went back and I told the doctor, I said, I tell you what, you do what you think is best. And he said, well, we're going to take her off of this and this and this. And he said, we'll see how she responds. And um, so they took her off and I just sat there by her bedside and it was 2.22 a.m. And she, my sister-in-law walked up and tapped me on the shoulder and she said, John, her, her pulse just went to zero. 
So mm. he passed on and now she is living it up. Living it up. Well, I'm so sorry. That's, um, that's a difficult circumstance. Um, not for her, to put it it lightly. Yes. Yeah. Not for her though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But see, that's what the Bible says when things like that happen, we don't, we don't react like the unbelievers do as those who don't have hope, mm -hmm. you know, and my book talks about, he gave, he showed me a vision of her and it was like a and it was confirmed. You just have to read it. it. It was, it was amazing. I've got chills even thinking about it because I overthink things. When I saw it, I was like, was that me? But you just have to read it in context to understand the whole story. It was amazing. And I had two people confirm what I saw without knowing that I saw it. Mm. So, cool. yeah. So other than the obvious, um, learning to deal with loss and learning to live on, live on your own without your spouse. What is the most, um, challenging thing about being a widower? The most challenging thing. Hmm. That's a really good question. I've not been asked that. Um, I think the most challenging thing is when is it appropriate to move on? Hmm. When is it appropriate to open yourself up to go, okay, she's gone. And I know I don't want to be alone the rest of my life. I love marriage. Mm -hmm. And so that was a challenge. That was not that much of a challenge for me because that's a whole nother story. But I think the biggest challenge was knowing what to do with a lot of the stuff that she left behind. Mm -hmm. You know, she had a will that what about the clothes? What about the pictures? What about this? Or what about that? And then, you know, I have kids that she practically helped me raise. I mean, they lived Mm -hmm. with us full time. So I have to deal with them. And like my son was home, like I said, he played college football at a division two school and I made him go back to school. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did that was like, Zach, go to school. I'll be fine. And I don't know that he was ready, but I was trying to push him forward to say, look, you can't stop living. You've got to go do your thing. Right. Um, and that's, that's what I really tried to portray to my kids. Look, guys, this happened. There's nothing we can do about it. Hanging our heads and moping is not going to make it any better. So let's, you know, let's be strong. Let's put our feet on the ground and let's, and let's keep going. Yeah. So I think dealing with the kids was the hardest thing. And then, of course, I met Tanya, who is now my wife. Mm-hmm. And she, my prayer before I met her was, God, I don't want to be alone. So when you're ready, please send her. Mm-hmm. And I knew if I prayed it like that, he would honor that. And when he sent her, I would know that I was ready. Yeah. Because if he's ready, that means I'm ready. So that's how I handled that. And how long have you been married to Tanya? Two and a half years. Actually, it's a little over two and a half years. And this coming Friday. I don't know when this will be on your podcast, but this coming Friday, we celebrate three years of when I proposed, which happens to be the day that our show on marriage debuts on the radio. (laughs) Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Very cool. So tell me about Marital Monkey and why did you name it Marital Monkey? Oh my goodness. Well, when Sherry passed away, because I do Christian inspirational speaking and for everybody who's curious, I actually come on love offering only. I don't charge. I'll I'll Mm -hmm. pay my air flight, everything. Um, when she passed away, I thought, you know, I really need to tell people to cherish your spouse because you just don't know. Like I woke up Monday, I went to work. I woke up Tuesday planning her funeral. It's not what I expected. 
And so I thought about maybe mentioning kind of a blurb during my speaking time, because what I normally do is tell my story of losing vision. And, you know, it's a pretty drawn out story. Not that I talk very much. Um, (laughs) Not that you run out of words or anything. No, I really struggle with that. (laughs) So I thought I would do that. And that was in my mind. And then I met Tanya. Now, Tanya has been through some stuff and her life has been a real life horror story. Hmm. And it has, it was just like, are you kidding me? And I mean, some of the most twisted things I've ever heard and just, I mean, it's like, what, you know, as you can tell, I don't have a, I don't have issues talking, but you can tell I'm, I'm at a loss for words Mm -hmm. because this is a girl who's, I tell people this girl had no chance. Her parents were older when she was born. They already had, I think it was four kids. Her mom was like 43 years old. Her dad was 69. Wow. She's born and here comes a twin. Oh, shit. And so they were in no mood to raise kids. And I'm not saying anything down about the family. It's just the fact they weren't wanting to raise kids. She didn't really have a dad because he was 69. He was done. Mm-hmm. And she was assaulted at 14. Mm. That changed her whole outlook. And they and they say when that happens to a young girl, their mind is rewired. Yeah. Absolutely. And it led to years and years and years of dark and destructive living. Nobody there to say, Tanya, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. addiction to alcohol, trying to be loved. She didn't understand life. And when I met her, she, she was a little girl that was a Christian. She was a, a, a Christian girl. Then all of that happened and she still believed, but you know, just, just, it's just, it's a sad story. Then in 2012, she decided, and this is what she told me. She said, I came home drunk. And I just said, God, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And she started to try to put her life back together. I need a Christian man. So she meets this quote unquote Christian man. And she left him after he got arrested for domestic violence. Mm. I'm the head of the house. You obey me. And I looked at her and I kind of giggled. I said, that's not what that means. Did Did he also quote? Husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church or husbands do not provoke your wife to bitterness. Did he read any of those verses? Of course not. Right. And just like Satan, he tempted Jesus and quoted the word verbatim, Mm -hmm. but he was wrong. You have to know what you're talking about. He was wrong. He used the Bible and quoted it with deceit and a, and a um, ulterior motive, which made him lie. There is a certain there is a certain viciousness about um, about people who wield the word of God as mm-hmm. a weapon yep. um, to harm others. Yeah, um, there there's just something very um, very dark about that. Yep. Well, when she told me that, and and told me the story, and then she's you know she was physically assaulted, and he got arrested, and, I, and that's when it. I was like, God, you're calling me to couples ministry, aren't you? Because I had already been studying marriage in the Bible because of her story. 
you know, mm-hmm. I, and, and that's what my next book's going to be about. It's going to tell the story. Um, and plus, God did some amazing things when we dated. The number eight is very significant to us. Just it, I could go on all day, which I will not. Um, but when I heard that, I was like, yeah, I think God's calling me to the marriage ministry. So I thought it would be fun to do a YouTube channel and a podcast. My wife, Tanya, said, well, to name it, you, you need to get like a brand name. You need to brand your name. And I was like, well, let me go check out and see what exactly that means. And I started reading up about branding and I got some ideas. Well, I'm a monkey fanatic. I love monkeys. My favorite animal. <laughs> Remember BJ and the bear? Yep. I watched it just for the monkey. And I was like, yeah, it, we've got to have something comical because I'm a professional goofball. And I love to have fun. I love the joke. Well, but we need to have a serious element to it because it's very serious. Marriage is to be held above all. It's what the Bible says. I'd say marriage is pretty serious. So I pulled up literally all the ilm words that were adjectives and put them next to monkey. (laughs) And I took about 10 of them and I read them all to Tanya. And I said, this one, you know, macho monkey, mushy monkey, marital monkey. And she said, I like marital monkey. I said, it fits, doesn't it? So that's how Marital Monkey was named. And that was April of 2019. And that she calls me her mushy monkey. I call her nice. Mrs. Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it came about. And God has taken it and has taken it in places I never thought this crazy. So do you, do you hold seminars or did you write teaching material? Do you go and speak um, special events? What, what is in, entailed in Marital Monkey? Well, I have, I've done a workshop. I am a certified relationship master coach. Um, So I do those types of things. And I've been doing a marital monkey workshop where we look at scripture and we apply it to marriage, just like Joshua. Mm -hmm. You know, he was the leader of the Israelites. The Israelites said, Hey, we'll follow you just like we followed Moses. I said, what if the wife did that with the husband? Mm -hmm. You know, they went and defeated everybody until somebody started sinning in the camp. But other than that, they were destroying people because they did it in God's order. Well, that's the same thing with marriage. There's an order of marriage. And like Mm -hmm. I said, this head of the house thing, men don't get it. And they want to be the head of the house. But when I explain to them what it means and I get really detailed, they all of a sudden aren't so happy about that anymore. Right. Like you guys think that you want this responsibility. You don't know what you're saying. They want the title. They just don't want the responsibility. It's right. the problem. They want to stick their chest out, puff it out and say, hey, look at me. And they want to be all macho strong and they forget they need to be godly strong first. Anyway, you get right. me rolling. I'm writing a men's program called Godly Strong, by the way, but that's for later on because I'm too busy with other stuff. So I do the marriage workshops on Monday nights. Anybody's welcome to come. Go to maritalmonkey.com. Click on Marital Monkey Mondays. You'll see how to get into it. Um, and we're about to start the roles of husband and wife. And it's probably going to take us to the end of the year. But my wife and I now have a brand new radio show coming up on Friday. It airs at 2.30 p.m. Eastern on a Friday afternoon. It's called Marital Monkey Mania. And it's going to be me taking questions on relationships, answering them on air. But then we have other things on there like Marital Monkey Milestones. People get to submit milestones. And we do charge a donation for that because we have to raise money to stay on air. Mm-hmm. Um, We're going to do Marital Monkey Couple of the Month. We're going to do Marital Monkey Joke of the Day, Marital Monkey Monkey Business. 
Mm-hmm. Tell on your spouse, tell a funny story about your spouse, but you better have permission because we don't do that otherwise. Right. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so we have all of these things within the show. And so it's just getting started. And I am, I'm incredibly excited about it. It's just that is exciting. It is. I can't. So that it. starts this Friday. Friday, June the 18th, 2.30 p.m. Our initial show will just basically tell everybody what each segment is what we're about and how to get a hold of us. And because we want people to be able to call our hotline and leave like a milestone or Mm -hmm. a joke of the day, and we'll take their voice and we'll put it on the radio. We want them involved. We want everybody involved in this. So it's, it's just going to be a lot of fun because marriage is supposed to be fun. Yeah. That that old ball and chain garbage ticks me off. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So by the time this interview airs, um, it'll be in the winter. So will people be able to listen to previous episodes of it? I plan on putting all of the episodes on a podcast platform that's already have up and running. So yes, I plan on loading all of the shows. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. Let me switch real quick to um, life coaching and you do some of that. And I just Mm -hmm. have a question about coaching. Um, Who is the most difficult kind of person to coach? The ones who think it's the partner's fault. Ah, because Well, those are the ones that are difficult. The other difficult ones are the ones who say what you want to hear. But I have a pretty good way to read them because the thing that most people don't realize is that I cannot see facial features. I can see Mm -hmm. you moving around. So what is it that I pick up on? Tone. Mm -hmm. I can hear your tone better than people with vision because they are seeing the facial features and somebody might smile and say they're happy, but their tone might tell me otherwise. Right. People with sight might be fooled, but not me. So I am able to pick up on that stuff. And here's what's so funny. I I will tell you this hilarious story. (laughs) There was this couple I was coaching and it was really hard to discern which one was telling me the truth because one would give me a story. The other one would give me a story exactly opposite. And I'm like, oh, somebody's not telling me the truth. Well, God has a way to let you know. I had a dream about that couple. And I had a dream. I walked up to their porch. And when I walked up, one was on my left, one was on my right. I couldn't see the one on my left. And the weird thing is in my dreams, I have 20-20 vision. It's weird. Oh, But the the one on the right, they knew I was coming. The one on the right looked at me and rolled their eyes like, oh, you again. And that told me right there who was not being honest. Mm -hmm. And so when I met with them the next day or the next session, I said, I told him that dream. Well, now, you know, he was talking about you. (laughs) It wasn't to argue. It was to say, you better be truthful with me, because if you're not truthful, I cannot help you. Right. You know, and I'm I'm a tough love guy. I used to not be like that. That's another thing where I've grown. If I tell people what they want to hear just to make them feel good, I truly don't care about them. Yeah. When you care about somebody, you tell them the tough stuff. Things that they yeah. need to hear. You're and a I truth finally, teller. Right. And I just finally told them, I said, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I said, are you ready to handle this? And they're like, well, yeah, that's what we want. I'm like, I don't think you do. But um, you guys nitpick each other to death. I said, it's ridiculous. Now, how are you supposed to grow and heal if you knit literally? I don't like the way she folds the towels. What? You can't yeah. be serious. 
And I said, then do it yourself. Yeah. Well, I, well, I do. So, uh, so we can avoid the conflict. Okay. Okay. But see, the thing with that is that means there's something deeper. It's not about the towels folding. It's not, there's something much deeper and it's hard. It's, it's, it's a challenge to dig down and get them to open up about it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, there's well, your short just, answer. <laughs> good. I was just, I was just curious because I think um, people who work in the people business with counseling, coaching, those kinds of things, there are obstacles to that work and not every, mm-hmm. not every client is um, willing and coachable. So I was just curious. Yeah. So what do you most want people to know about your life? I want them to know that this sounds, again, it sounds so hateful. I really don't mean it like this, but you know, we've all got sad stories. Mm-hmm. All of us. We've all had things happen with God as your source and your rock. Obviously, the blood of Jesus. You can make it. Mm-hmm. You can. But mindset is everything. See, the Bible talks about strongholds in Ephesians. Strongholds have really nothing to do with demonic, dark principalities and all that stuff. Stronghold is all about you. What's your stronghold? Are you in the mindset that you're never going to be okay? You're never going to make it. I can't do anything right. That's a stronghold. Yeah. See, the stronghold in the Greek means it's like a castle. It's walls that are built. And when you build up walls and you lock yourself into that mindset, you've built your own stronghold. You can't do that. You have to know that with God, all things are possible. I can get through this. By golly, it's hard, but Mm -hmm. I can make it because God said I could. In my book, I said this. I was praying two weeks after the funeral, and I was like, God, thank you for helping me survive another day. And I Mm -hmm. said that out of thankfulness. And he stopped me, and he said, and he didn't say it in a disciplinary way. He said it with love. I could feel the gentleness. He said, I didn't create you to be a survivor. I created you to be a conqueror Mm -hmm. and all of us have that promise, but it's up to us to grasp onto it. Mindset change. And you know what? We can make it. Yeah, you can make it. And that's what I want people to know. You know, I could have sat and moaned too. Everybody could have, everybody's got Mm -hmm. something they could sit and whine about, but what good does it do? It makes you miserable. It makes everybody else around you miserable. Especially if you're a Christian. I mean, what is Jesus didn't want to go on the cross. He flat out said three times, I don't want to, Mm -hmm. but not my will yours be done. So Jesus went through some stuff too. Yep. So that's my message just to encourage people and challenge them. You know, stop your whining. Yeah. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Well, John, how do people find um, Marital Monkey and Blind Fury and um, all of the things that you do? What's what's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, I have two websites. Um, my nickname is The Blind Fury. So if you go to theblindfury.com, you'll find me there. I love people. So drop me a message. Um, if you want to learn about Marital Monkey, same thing, maritalmonkey.com. It's that simple. Great. 
Great. Well, I just have treasured um, our time together and uh, being able to listen to to your perspective is an encouragement. And I just, I always hope and pray that uh, through other people's stories, as I share them and and share other people's uh, stories of overcoming and triumph. And, and uh, I just pray that that's an encouragement and you have been that mm-hmm. to me today. And I thank you for yeah. that. And, and we just pray that, that those who hear this gather the same thing. And I appreciate that. It's, it's been great being on here. I love what you do. Everybody needs to be encouraged at some point. So it's been a lot of fun. And I, like I said, I just love to encourage people and you can make it just yep. always remember that, you know, you, the battle starts in the mind. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you, Jill. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts today. You can follow Jill on social media on Facebook and Instagram, JillRiley.author, and on Twitter, JillRileyAuthor. Email Jill at JillRiley.org.